Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Steph. And this is Not Today. What's up? You know. <laughs> I do know. It, it has been a long day for the both of us. Yeah, sorry. And now we're punchy. Yes, I'm a little punchy. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a bit late. It's a bit of a long day. That's okay. And by late, we mean about 9.30. Yeah, but I'm tired. So, yeah. We're just, we're just old. <laughs> you yeah. Know? The ripe old age of 24. <laughs> You're no. not 24 yet. Oh, shut up. Shh. You are. Anyway. <laughs> I am. Um, so let's just jump into the story because this is an incredible one and I remember when it happened and it was fucking insane. I guess I'll just let you know what it is. Um, so we're going to be talking about the wild boars soccer team rescue that happened in Thailand in 2018. Yes. And I also remember it happening. Yeah. And just like uh, catching random news stories yeah. about it like people like the media went nuts for this yeah and there was like live footage of it happening which is so crazy and we'll talk about it but yeah anyway there, there's a there's like a live video of like maybe this is too much spoiler but when they are discovered they like actually posted a video to facebook yeah 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 it's crazy so you can still see it and let's jump in for sure let's just jump in so Um, Yeah, so this is the Wild Boars Soccer Team Rescue in Thailand. And so let's start on Saturday, Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. A group of 12 boys aged between 11 and 16 from a local junior soccer team named the Wild Boars and their 25-year-old assistant coach and former monk, Ekafon Chanthawang, uh, set out to explore the Tham Luang Nangnan, which is a cave complex between Doi Nangnan, a mountain range on the border between Thailand and Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Myanmar. That's it. I'm going to just say, after I said that whole big paragraph, be gentle with me on the bres- uh, the pronunciations. <laughs> I'm trying my best. I could tell you're smiling because you are not sure. <laughs> it's okay. If this is right. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We're just going to... It's it's great. Um, so the system, the cave system, is 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles long and has many deep recesses, which are narrow passages and tunnels winding under hundreds of meters of limestone. And part of the cave system is seasonally flooded so there's a sign advising against entering the caves during the rainy season which is july through november which is you know monsoon season posted at the caves entrance so the team planned to have a birthday party for one of the older boys on the team in the cave after their soccer practice and they had spent time planning this outing and also spent a decent amount of money on food for this party So the boys and their assistant coach headed into the caves for the party. But like I said, they planned this trip during the rainy season or the monsoon season. And soon after entering this cave, the skies opened up and they were hit by a powerful monsoon. In Mai Sai, where the boys lived, it's a very rainy night and the boys' parents are beginning to worry that their sons haven't made it home yet. And at about 7 p.m. is when this is all, you know, starting to happen. The parents are getting worried. So the head coach, Noparat Kanthawang, checked his phone 
uh, finding about 20 missed calls from parents that were worried about their children. And that's when he quickly called up his assistant coach who was supposed to be with the boys, but wasn't able to reach him. He also had some of the boys' cell phone numbers, but none of them answered either. But eventually he reached a young boy, a 13-year-old member of the team, who mentioned that he was picked up after practice and that the rest of the boys had gone exploring in the Tham Luang Caves. Oh my god, so one of them didn't go with. Yeah. Yeah, he had been picked up after practice. Crazy. Um, So this is when their head coach raced up to the caves and found, you know, all of their abandoned bicycles locked to the fences along the entrance of this cave and along with their soccer cleats and their bags. So all of their stuff is scattered and they're, they're nowhere in sight, obviously. So even worse than that, he sees that water is now rushing into the cave because of this, you know, monsoon that's happening. And again, with no sign of these boys. So the coach quickly alerted authorities to the missing group after seeing all of their unclaimed belongings and official officials and the boys' parents rushed to the scene. It's soon determined that the boys are in mortal danger. So that's when parents and this small rescue team start desperately entering the cave. A close friend of one of the boys' fathers said that he went a short distance into the cave, but a few parents, along with the rescue team, went about an hour and a half further into the cave, but soon it became very hard to breathe and they were forced to come back out to figure out another plan. And now at this point, it's around 1 a.m. and the boys have been missing for half of the night. So fearing the worst could have happened, the governor made the tough call to hold off the search until they could gather more information and equipment. He said there wasn't much anything anyone could do at that point, so they just needed to rest and gather as many clues as possible before attempting another rescue. Because at this point, they have no idea where these boys are in this cave, and it is a huge, huge cave. I mean, we said it earlier, it was like 6.2 miles long or something like that. Right. So there, there was just no, they had no idea where to even begin, which basically meant that if the boys were still alive deeper in the cave, they'd have to spend time on their own. So that was a pretty difficult decision he had to make, but you know, a necessary one at that point. And this was a really nerve wracking time because the rain kept going and water levels continued to rise. And now not just at the entrance of the cave. Now the cave had other entrances and now the intense rain is pouring into an underground stream north of the cave, which is causing water to flow aggressively down the northern passage. And to make matters even worse, water was now entering from the south as well, and the groundwater below was thought to be rising. So they are getting water flowing into this cave from every single point. You know, from the main entrance, the north entrance, the south entrance, everywhere has water pouring into this cave, which is terrifying. Also, the water that's seeping into the ground. Yes, is rising. So the entire thing is just flooding very quickly. Yeah, so not that we didn't already know this, but the boys at this point were officially trapped in this cave and conditions were just getting worse. So now we're going into day two, which is Sunday, June 24th. And that morning, officials are trying to plan their mission, but it was impossible to know how badly flooded the rest of the cave was. And if the boys managed to find a dry part of the cave, how in the world they were going to get to them. So this is when professional cavers arrived to help. 
and among them is the first foreign rescue member, British caver Vern Unsworth. Vern had spent years exploring this cave system, so his knowledge of its layout was vital to their search mission. He led a team up the mountain to search for alternative access points into the cave, because now they're thinking, okay, above this cave is a mountain. There has to be some sort of opening that could also leave into the ca- lead into the cave. So that's what they're looking for at this point. Another professional caver and rescuer said that this was the most dangerous rescue mission he had ever been a part of. Because he said if the rain increased, they didn't know how much water would enter the cave, which would be extremely dangerous to not only the boys, but to anyone searching inside. And when the search in the cave begins, the cavers quickly realize that there are many points in the cave where the water is up to their necks, and further into the cave, the water has risen all the way to the ceiling. At that point, it became obvious that if the boys were still alive, they were going to have to be rescued by a team of scuba divers with cave experience, which is very rare, apparently. I mean, I don't really know much about the world of scuba diving, but scuba divers with cave experience, especially cave experience to this degree, is like super rare. I think, you know, later I wrote this down in my notes, but someone like one of the professional cavers said that there was less than 100 like professional cave scuba divers in the entire world. So this is like not easy to come by. Right. So where are they at? Send a tweet. So where are they at? Drop a pin. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But now it's a question of how quickly they can be brought to the scene because this is really a race against time. So the governor calls in the Thai Navy SEALs, and just like the U.S. Navy SEALs, they are an elite branch of the Navy that takes on the most dangerous missions. And with them was Dr. Pak Loenchun, who is a highly trained diver and experienced doctor of the Royal Thai Army. So the search became critical, but at this point, the rescue team needed to make a guess about where the boys were. And luckily, they had some maps of the cage for the cage. Luckily, they had some maps of this cave from French cavers who had explored it in the 90s. No one knew how accurate they were, but from what they pieced together, the cave system seemed to be about six miles long. And this seems like a daunting length, but it gave them hope that with such a long cave, the boys could have been found in a place that wasn't completely flooded and, you know, take shelter. So it you know, is bad on one end because it's like, holy shit, that's six miles of cave. But then on the other end, it's like, okay, that that's a good chance that the boys are alive. Right. They you probably know. found somewhere to yeah. be above ground. Right. So one section of this cave is called Padia Beach. And that seemed particularly promising because its elevation su- suggested it may have stayed dry during the flooding. But Patia Beach was about one and a quarter miles from the cave's entrance, which meant that the divers may have to swim a far distance underwater in very tight spaces and pitch black, murky conditions. So now we're going to get into the part where uh, we talk about the murky cave conditions that I hate so much. Yeah, I'm sure this is great for just any fear that you have. Oh my gosh. The darkness, water. Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. Oh my god. Perhaps a few spiders. I don't know. Spiders in a flooded cave? I don't know. That would be even worse. (laughs) That'd be even worse. Yeah, there's no spiders, but I threw that in there. Yeah, no, but basically this cave is like really narrow. And at points, because it's flooded, like at points, there's 
only two feet of space. And also it's obviously pitch black in there. And even with headlamps, it's like you can't even see your hand in front of your face because the water is so like muddy and murky and like it is tr truly treacherous. Like that is the only way to describe it. There's rocks everywhere. It is heinous conditions. Heinous. Yes. Great word. Thank you. So when the Navy SEALs arrived, they immediately jumped into looking for these kids. And each day they tried to go as deep as they possibly could into this cave. Each day they tried to go as deep as they possibly could into this cave. And on each attempt, they'd create a guideline so they could find their way back out, which is basically just a rope that would, you know, tether them to the beginning and to where they had already been. So it gave them, you know, pretty much a lifeline in these murky conditions. So each attempt into this cave would come to an end because their limited supply of oxygen. But thankfully, each time they never found any bodies, which was definitely a good sign. However, this meant that the boys were further into the cave than they thought. So again, it's one of these things where it's like, good they didn't news. find any bodies, but they're even further. And what the hell are we going to do? You know? Right. So once they reach the 72 hour mark, it opens up a whole slew of other problems. You know, now it's like, do these boys have any clean drinking water? Any food that they possibly could have had with them was either destroyed in the flood or was eaten at this point because it's 72 hours in. So now they're really racing against the time, not only for the flooding, but also for the starvation and dehydration aspect of it all. Right, yeah. If they don't have water, they have another 72 and it's That's done. That's exactly right. That's why they were like, okay, 72 hours is a is a big marker. Because if they don't have clean drinking water, we very well could be coming up on 13 bodies, you know? So now we're on day four, which is Tuesday, June 26th. And at this point, the whole world is following the story, which meant that the rescue turned international and rescuers from around the globe were coming to Thailand to help with this rescue, which is just so incredible. This It turned from just a small team of rescuers to the Navy SEALs to now international level of rescue teams, which, I mean, is amazing. It's insane. Yeah, it's, yeah. So we'll talk about how truly extensive it gets by the end, but yeah. it is a big team of people trying to get these boys out of this cave. Yeah, I was going to say, we're just getting started. We really are just getting started. And so they had a makeshift rescue headquarters at the entrance of this cave where they began attempting to pump water out of the mouth of the cave. And hundreds of volunteers searched the surrounding mountains for an alternative entrance to this cave still. So they're still trying to figure out another way in. But finding an alternative entrance, much less one that leads to the boys, is like finding a needle in a haystack. You know, like there's not a map of this mountain and it's like here's a crevice you can go into the cave this way you know like there's there's no telling what you're gonna find they're literally aimlessly searching this mountain but there's hundreds of them so they're like maybe you know this whole rescue team is just a big maybe this will work you know they there's so much trial and error yeah no i was gonna say maybe this will work like i don't know we were going off of uh maps from two french guys in 1990 right, right. Yeah, they're like, we don't know if this is actually the cave, but it's probably the cave. Probably. And in 30 years, maybe there's a different opening. Right. Let's check it out. Yeah. Try so, it. And if it w doesn't work, well... We'll try. We'll just try again. We'll try again. <laughs> yes. So even though the Navy SEALs were seasoned military divers, they weren't trained to cave dive. 
and they were just learning as they went, which made each trip exponentially more dangerous for them and also psychologically very challenging. This is when the most experienced cave divers from all over the world start coming to form a rescue team. Ivan Karadzic said that there were probably less than 100 cave divers at this level in the entire world, which I already said, but is that not nuts? That is <laughs> fucking nuts. That's crazy. Um, the U.S. Air Force was also brought in to aid in the rescue. So truly everywhere and every sort of, you know, official thing is like, we're here to help, you know? Yeah, let's go. Let's get it. Um, and... The worry is now that the boys will starve to death before they can get to them because they're all young and slim and have very little fat reserves. You know, they're like 13-year-old boys who are like lanky and tiny. Right, they're athletes. Yeah. They have no fat. Right. But uh, when the body is active, we can last around 7 to 10 days without food. But if you're lying still, you can last around 2, 3, sometimes even 4 weeks. So they're like, we have a very limited amount of time. And they're still attempting to pump water out of the cave at this point, but soon it becomes clear that the pumping water out of the mouth of the cave alone isn't going to be enough to lower the water levels. So this is when they bring in a groundwater engineer, Tanay Natasiri, and his job was to try to divert the water away from the sinkholes at the top of the mountain that were still continuously pouring water into the cave to stop it from flooding further. Because not only is water coming in from the mouth of the cave and all the entrances, but there's sinkholes above the, the caves that are pouring water in from above. So they're like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Really, just nature is not helping. Giving us the middle finger right yeah, now. Not helping. It's really not cool. So yeah, they're like, okay, now we gotta, we gotta double time. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we gotta, gotta do this shit. We gotta get this water out it. of there. Come on, groundwater expert. Yes, and this entire time, Josh Morris, who is a Thai-speaking American, has been coordinating and translating between the the international dive teams and the the Thai authorities. So this entire mission. <laughs> is being like secondhand translated between one guy, which I also thought was so crazy. One person? It was one guy. It was, yeah, it's just Josh Morris. He's, he's a, <laughs> it's a Josh Morris, a Thai-speaking American, is the sole translator for this entire operation, which is like a, later on is like thousands of people, like very intricate, delicate thing. Wow. Could you imagine? <laughs> you just like are an American who speaks... Tie. Yeah, <laughs> like, very stressful days. Happened to be there. Right. It's like, we fucking need you, dude. Yeah, thank God you're here. Um, but yeah, so I just thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, so Josh and Tanae joined together to battle the water. And with a huge team of volunteers and military personnel, they head up the mountain to divert this water out of these sinkholes and get the cave water levels down. So the team is instructed to find openings that could potentially be letting water into these caves. So people are literally looking under like boulders and being like, is this a crack? Can I seal it? Like, they're like, it's just, it's madness. Like the entire thing is madness. They're like, go find any potential crack in the mountain and seal it. They're like, or, or get the water out of there. I just couldn't imagine being on this team being like, is this an opening? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just like lifting up right. Hello? Yeah. Is this a hole? Is water? 
Is water in today? Yes. <laughs> so they used makeshift dams out of plastic pipes and bamboo, like split in half bamboo, to direct water away from these sinkholes and down the mountain. What? Fuck yeah. Like plas- literally plastic pipes and bamboo. I love it. It's so... It's scrappy. It's scrappy. Like that's a great word for it because it's just... Who'd have thunk? Get it done. Yeah, they're like, we're going to use literal plastic and bamboo to save these children. I love it. It, It's insane, and they did. And over the next day, their efforts begin to pay off, because amazingly, even though it's still downpouring water, the levels in the cave begin to stabilize and start to drop. I said stabilize. 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 They began to stabilize. Yeah, and start (laughs) to drop. (laughs) Anyway, um, this was the rescue mission's first real breakthrough and like big celebration point because the water levels are finally going down. So now we go into day seven and people begin to worry about the mental well-being of these boys. They're like, they're 13 years old. They've been in a cave for seven days. Like, are they mentally okay? Which I think is an important question. But a psychologist who was, you know, keeping track of this whole case and rescue mission was like, you know, yes, they're 13 year old boys, but because they're 13 and, you know, through 16 or 17, like it kind of helps them because you're in a very like here and now kind of mind state where it's, or state of mind. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. And it it's kind of a protection because it's like, okay, you're not thinking about like, oh my God, I'm going to die in, you know, X amount of years when you're 13 years old. You know, you're going to be like, oh, that's a cool rock. Like, you know what I mean? You'd be like, okay, well, we can get out of this. I think also it helps that they're not alone. They're they're a team. They're cohesive. There's community. You know, you're leaning on other people. People are leaning on you. It's not just like you're bearing the brunt of like being helplessly trapped in a 6.2 mile cave system. For sure. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it wasn't scary for them because it definitely was like, it definitely was, but it was also helpful for them because they were so young and could focus on the current moment. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. So rescuers have now succeeded in draining the first half mile of the cave, making the opening section of the cave walkable, which was huge. And hundreds of air tanks and supplies are brought almost a mile into the cave to a staging point that they named Chamber 3. And by day 9, divers are prepared for what could be the last push to find these boys. And they prepare themselves for what condition they may find them in. Because they're like, at this point, it's day 9. There's really no saying what we're going to find, you know? But they're optimistic. They're still optimistic at this point. By day 10, there were thousands of people there. There were people everywhere. There were soldiers, civilians, doctors, divers, engineers, media, and lots of equipment everywhere. But even though that sounds super chaotic, each team had a plan and a purpose and was actually pretty organized. Like they were, they were making it happen. And yes, yes. (laughs) And (laughs) one of the diver specialists Eric Brown said that the conditions in the cave were terrible, like we talked about earlier. He said that the water was so murky and dark that you couldn't see your finger until you physically touched your mask, or you couldn't see a rock until you had already smacked your head into it. So you're truly blindly going into this tiny cave. And uh, at parts, they needed to physically squeeze their bodies 
through cracks in the cave to continue forward, which truly is my biggest nightmare. Like, not only is it squeezing yourself through tiny spaces, claustrophobia, but also it's in the dark and it's underwater. Yeah. That is the worst possible combination of things for me. Quick side note, I was on vacation with my family and we we're going to do this thing where basically they put this, like, it looks like an astronaut helmet on your head and it weighs you down so you can walk on the bottom of the water. And like, you're literally just walking on the ocean floor with like fish swimming around you and they take you and it's really cool and tropical, which in theory sounds sick. Great. Sounds amazing. They put that helmet on my head and I sunk to the bottom and immediately had a panic attack and just didn't do it. My entire family like had to go on without me and like, you know, do the little like fish tour thing. And I sat and watched a lizard on a rock. Like, fuck no. I literally immediately was like, fuck no. So anyway, that was just my little anecdote. But I hate being underwater for some reason if I'm being weighed down and I'm in tight spaces. And if you can't see, and, and it's tight see, spaces. And if it's in a cave, so this then... is this is not great so for you. So point being, my literal nightmare. Yeah, so this, this diver specialist, Eric Brown, said that he would never dive in conditions like this had it not been for this circumstance, you know? Which is great. I mean, the bravery of these people and the selflessness, like, it just, I don't even have words. Like, it's it's insane. Yeah, they're just volunteering. But, yeah. like, putting their lives on the line. Oh, like, fully on the line. Like, they are very much in danger. I can't believe it. But anyway, after hours of swimming through the most perilous parts of this cave with zero visibility, they finally reach uh, Patia Beach, which is where they thought the boys would be. But when they surfaced and shined their lights into the darkness, their hearts sank because the boys weren't there. And now they only had enough air to go a little bit further because like, you know, they're scuba diving. You only have so much air. And at this point, things seem hopeless, but they were so determined to find some sign of these boys that they pushed as far as they possibly could. And right before they needed to head back, they find one final air pocket. And when they surface, they shine their lights and find all 12 of these boys and their coach still alive. Woo! Woo! That was very... You just definitely blew the mic. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll cut that out. (laughs) Maybe. Um, But that's the video you were talking about at the start of this. Yeah, they like... They find them and then start filming. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah, this is such a crazy story. Not only for, you know, the entirety of this story, but it's also like very well-y wellly documented well documented well documented um and there's videos of the entire process like in the cave you can see how murky the water is you can see how tight it is you can see them finding the boys you can see their rescue like it is there's so much video out there also was this filmed on an iphone like something you know what i mean like they couldn't have a big camera in there it had to be some sort of tiny handheld thing but right i'm just like imagining like where do you put your iphone on your diver's suit when you're like like, going to like possibly the most incredibly dangerous stretch of cave diving you've ever done you have a lot of uh a lot of trust in that like otter box or whatever the, yeah. those those phone <laughs> cases that can be so, underwater or, or is the new iphone waterproof it's like <laughs> let's test it out yeah could you imagine <laughs> this oh, turns my... into an ad yeah. <laughs> sponsored by no i'm joking um 
so where they found the boys and the coach was about a thousand feet beyond Patia Beach. And truly, it was like their last little bit of distance that they could have gone before they had to come back. So this was a stroke of luck, you know? And when the divers returned, they informed the families that their children had been found alive and everyone was elated and good news spread very quickly all over the world. But finding these boys was the easy part compared to the challenging rescue that they would now have to execute, which is saying something because were you here for the first half? Because yeah. <laughs> remember? Remember, you guys that? remember that shit was whack. <laughs> now they had to get them out. <laughs> so when the boys are finally found, Dr. Pack of the Thai army makes the dangerous mission to the boys and urgently assesses them medically. He's relieved to find that all of the kids are communicating well and they can move and stand up and the boys had no infection and they were all in good health, you know, as much as they possibly could be, which is a huge relief. They only had a few cuts on their hands and feet from when they were escaping the flooding caves, which he was able to slightly treat with some, you know, antiseptic because that's all he had. Right. <laughs> they can't really bit. bring the whole hospital right. into the cave. He's just got some, like, disinfectant. He's got some neosporin. Right. Dr. Pack was also able to bring them some kind of, like, cal calorically dense food or something. That way they could get some sustenance. And when he then he revealed to the boys that he was going to be staying with them which I thought was like kind of crazy. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Thank yeah, you. He's, Dr. he's doing it. Yeah, he's doing the damn thing. But before the boys were found, their coach, who, like I said in the beginning, was a former Buddhist monk, had taught the boys to meditate as a way to overcome their fears. And meditation was a really useful tool for them because it's all about detaching from your thoughts and slowing down your breathing. So it kept them, it kept them all so calm and that is such a like amazing thing that they were able to have that in this, you know, insanely traumatic experience. Right. The other thing was is that if they're slowing their breathing down, they're conserving the oxygen that was left in the cave. Exactly. Yeah. That's also super important. And actually the parents used this time before the rescue to write letters to the boy's coach expressing gratitude for taking care of their children during this nightmare. And that's just like so incredible because I feel like it, it's, it would be so easy as a parent to blame this man, but they were like so grateful. And they, was, they wrote these letters that were delivered to him by scuba divers. And I just thought that was so lovely, you know? So above ground, officials are working tirelessly to form their rescue plan. They had to make the decision of whether they would leave the boys in the cave for what could be several months until the monsoon rains ended and the water receded completely, or they would have to make a dangerous attempt to get them out in the present conditions, meaning scuba them out, which would be so dangerous. And they come up with an idea to fly a drill, like helicopter a drill, a whole ass drill, on top of the mountain to try to form a shaft above the boys into the cave and pull them out from above. But the problem was creating this escape route could take the better part of a month. So even if the drilling did work, the cave could flood in the meantime, killing them all, you know, because the rain was still happening. They also determined that their last option would be to perform a highly risky dive mission to get all 12 of the boys and their coach out of the cave, which I, I did say, but you know what I mean. They had to think about that. 
this mission would be riddled with danger. This was some of the most dangerous diving in the entire world, and obviously none of these young boys knew anything about scuba diving. So it was just like, what do you do? You know? It, there's not a great option. No, there's no, there's no clear option here. Um, another big problem with waiting out the monsoon season was that the fresh air in the cave was receding faster than it could steep or it could seep back in from the boys being in the cave and also the abundance of rescuers in the cave. So this basically means that the cave is losing oxygen quicker than it can come back in. So they'll suffocate, you know, if they wait too long. So there's just a myriad of problems. For the boys, the lower levels of oxygen could make them feel sick and then the problems would only get worse from there. And the only solution was to constantly cart in hundreds of new tanks of oxygen into this cave, which was time-consuming and exhausting, and soon it became deadly. At 1 a.m. on day 14 of the rescue, Officer Suman Goodman was returning back to camp from an overnight mission delivering oxygen tanks. And even though Suman was an experienced diver and former Thai Navy SEAL, at some point on his way back through the water, he became unconscious and stopped breathing. He was pulled from the water by his diving partner, but at that point, it was already too late. So the cave claimed one life at this point, which was so devastating. And the news hit the rescue team really hard. One, because they had lost someone on their team. And two, because Simon was a hugely experienced diver and this cave claimed his life. So rescuers were horrified and morale was definitely, you know, down at this point. But this also made the team kind of double down and become even more determined to rescue the boys successfully so that Simon will not have died in vain. Rescuers are even more worried about attempting to dive the boys out of the cave at this point, but at the same time, the plan to wait out the monsoon season is dangerous as well because it would mean that more oxygen would need to be delivered and more divers would, would need to risk their lives delivering that oxygen. Not to mention, waiting for the monsoon season to finish and the cave to dry up could take upwards of four months. So... Yeah, that's four a, months of deliveries. Four months of deliveries and four months in a tiny cave for those boys, you know? Yeah, like, and they're still pumping out water. Exactly. So to make matters even worse, there were weather predictions of another storm that would bring substantial rainfall and would very possibly lead to the drowning of the boys and their coach. This oncoming storm forced the decision to attempt a dive rescue mission, and the Thai governor held a press conference and announced that this mission would proceed that day. But now, divers need to quickly figure out how they can protect the boys from all of the dangers they'd face on this mission. And to do this, the British Cave Rescue Council rehearsed the rescue mission with some local children in a swimming pool to go through exactly how the kids would be transported. Could you, and I was just thinking when I was watching this in the documentary, like, could you imagine being this kid? Like, just some <laughs> random local kid who's, like, being hooked up to a professional diver in a swimming pool. Like, They're like, okay, so why, why are we doing this again? Well, they know why, but it's also, like, terrifying. Yeah. I don't know crazy i mean but at least they're not in the cave like in a pool you can see shit oh definitely i'm not saying that these kids have it worse i just thought it was funny i was like that's kind of crazy yeah also like imagine trying not to panic in the pool let alone the cave 
Yeah, I'd panic in the pool. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Or, or on the flip side, they were like, this is super cool. Meanwhile, it's like a really like sad, scary undertone. Yeah, well, I mean, they were helping out for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely helpful. But nothing like this had ever, ever been attempted before. But they came up with this quote-unquote straightforward mission of diving each boy out of the cave attached to a designated diver. And one of the biggest challenges for these divers was to stop the boys from succumbing to deadly fear during the vast stretches of black water. And I'm not laughing because that's funny. I'm laughing because I would die of deadly fear. (laughs) 100%. I would succumb to deadly fear. I do in my daily life almost. You know what I mean? No, I'm not that scared, but I'd be scared in in this situation. No doubt. No doubt. So panic was a huge factor because these boys, if they panicked, could remove equipment or they could breathe in the oxygen too quickly or they could, you know, flail around. And in these tiny cave, you know, conditions, that just wasn't an option. Yeah, there's no room for mistake. No, there's truly, it's like mission impossible. So there were just so many things that could go wrong. And they determined that each child would need a full face mask that would allow them to breathe both with their mouth and their nose. And they also came to the decision that each boy would actually need to be sedated for the journey. So Dr. Richard Harris, who is an Australian anesthesiologist and cave diver. <laughs> like, Just like, I, he has to be the only person on this planet. That is what I was saying earlier. I was like, this has to be the only anesthesiologist slash cave diver ever to on exist. On the planet. <laughs> like, like, we've... And, like, we've connected with him. I know. Like, what a fucking miracle. It's just so funny. God, there's so many little things that happen. What? I was like, yo, where are my my cave diving anesthesiologists at? (laughs) Yo, drop a link. (laughs) Drop a like if you're a cave diving anesthesiologist. Um, So, yeah. So, Dr. Richard Harris would accompany Dr. Pack to the boys to sedate them enough so that they wouldn't panic, but not so much that their breathing would be an issue. So, that was the plan. And now we reach day 16, Sunday, July 8th. And by early morning, the first major rescue mission is ready to begin. There are dozens of diver air tanks stationed all along the route, and U.S. airmen constructed rope rescue systems in key chambers, as well as there were 13 ambulances on standby outside, so one ambulance per person. And Dr. Pack explained every detail of this mission to the boys to assess their ability to handle it. And everyone seemed okay with it and was just ready to leave the cave. They were like, get me the fuck out. Get me out. (laughs) The boys believed, uh, the boys were believed to have been sedated with a cocktail of Valium and ketamine to calm them and create a state of dissociative anesthesia which meant that the boys can breathe on their own, but pretty much can't panic or do anything else, which is good in this scenario. Yeah, I guess so. But I would imagine that that's like, I would imagine they can't really move. Well, yeah. And they're in darkness. Correct. But they're on like Valium and ketamine. So they're not like, so, I mean, I guess I'm glad that their it. anxiety is removed, but yeah. this is anxiety inducing for me. Oh, like the anxiety that the rescuers must have felt because they're like this limp, lifeless, not lifeless, but you know what I mean? Like, this is all on me. Yeah. 
yeah, I gotta transport this entire body out of there without any help from this body. Which yep. is probably, I mean, it's for the best in this care in this case scenario because you know but any yeah. fuck up would lead to the stakes certain are high. death. But yeah, the stakes are high. So the rescue began at the boys' location. And all along the route, there were different rescue teams stationed. So divers from the British Cave Rescue Council took turns swimming the boys through these flooded areas, and each diver was alone with, you know, one boy for about 30, or they would dive about 30 minutes apart from each other, and each stretch of diving would be around 15 minutes, which was equal to about 1,200 feet. And they were going through areas as narrow as two feet, which is so small. (laughs) I hate it. But when the British divers would reach a dry section, a new diver would take over and would carry the boys from that diver that just had them to the next dive station and then would carry on. And about halfway through this cave, the divers' tanks would be changed and the boys would be assessed to make sure that they had no mask leakage and that they were all set to go further. Because any leakage would, you know, mean drowning. That's yeah, they're it. They're done. Yeah, they're done. Because they also can't, like... Move. Move. They're limp. And one of the rescuers, on the way to his post at this halfway point through the cave, literally almost died. About a minute into his dive, on the way to his post, his helmet got stuck on something, and the strap securing the helmet to his head was strangling him. And the diver had, you know, he, they have this guide rope that they're holding this entire time that they're going to their station to, to lead the way. Because, like we said earlier, they can't see in front of them. But this diver needed to make the decision of, do I hold on to this rope and, you know, try to continue forward, literally suffocating? Or do I let go of this rope and unclip my helmet and stop the suffocation but then let go of the rope and then potentially not be able to find it again i choose b i just rambled did that make sense that made sense (laughs) okay great but so he chose b and he chose to let go of this rope and unclip his helmet to stop the strangling from happening but happening but then for about 45 seconds was you know pretty much struggling to find this guide rope to get him to his next position. And he said the entire thing lasted probably about two minutes, but it seemed a lot longer because it's literally life or death. Anyway, that's just a fun little tidbit of information from this rescue mission. So he makes it to his station where he and his partner wait for the first boy to arrive. And finally, the first boy arrives and is still breathing and is fine. And when the boys got to the dry parts of the cave, they still had over a mile to get out of the cave. And even though it wasn't flooded, it was still very treacherous and slippery. There was, you know, rocks jutting out from everywhere. It was tight spaces. It was it was very treacherous. But rescuers used a stretcher attached to a zip line, essentially, like a suspended rope and would guide this stretcher on a, you know, attached rope above them, you know, along this cave. And then they'd be brought to the mouth of the cave where the ambulances were waiting for them. I just, like a stretcher on a zipline. Fucking sweet. (laughs) That's dope. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy. But each time a child would come out, people would start celebrating. But parents weren't told which child was coming out. They were just waiting 
for all of them to be found before they gave the parents any information, which, I mean, could you believe that? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, because, like, I, I feel like I understand why, because you don't want to be like, why didn't you bring my kid out first? Oh, I mean, I don't know right, if that would know? be a problem, but it's just like, I, yeah, I, I just feel like as the parent, you're like, what? why can't i know yeah the anxiety is fucking immense yeah but um yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about that because i feel like if if i was the parent i would be like throwing a fit if you weren't telling me which kids were coming out yeah i mean at at that point it's like do they have even an i guess they probably do have enough people to be like hey it's this kid but at the same time it's like they need all hands on deck to like safely remove these kids so i'm sure as the parent you're like just get them out safely yeah maybe hands off yeah so by 18 or by day 18 is what i was trying to say tuesday july 10th all 12 boys and their coach were out of the cave alive and healthy isn't that nuts that is a true miracle. Yeah, this is like an accomplishment of like extreme proportions. Oh, yeah. An international community saves these 13 lives. Yeah. And just like unprecedented on every step of the way. Definitely. Yeah. But even though these boys and this coach were out, Dr. Pack and all of the rescuers who are stationed in this cave along the way still need to escape. And they began this mission just in time because seven out of the nine pumps diverting the water gave out, which caused the water levels to rise again in the cave. And the decision to leave their equipment behind gave them just enough time to get all of the rescue team out alive. So they all made it out. Everyone, I mean, except for that one unfortunate event where the diver died, but everyone made it out of this cave from this rescue mission, alive. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) What do you say? (laughs) I I can't believe it. And like the fact that the pumps went on for that long, like just just long enough. Yeah, just long enough. And then right as they're getting out, like the water's back up to like their neck level and then they literally make it out. This is like... This makes me think woo-woo shit. Yeah. Like, this, like miracles exist? Yeah, like this shit happened for a reason. Yeah. 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 Like, it seems like it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, wow. You just, tell me. Just the boot. You tell me. Oh, yeah, because I'm the president of woo-woo. Yeah, you, I mean, you are. You're into crystals and, sh- and stuff. So, like, I, I don't know. Stuff. It's your stuff. <laughs> I've said shit too many times already. Okay, it's we need fun. to change it up. Let's but you like crystals. It. You're in the woo. I Is know, this woo? I or is know. it just me? I know almost nothing about crystals. I just like them and would like to know about them. <laughs> and they're like the energy. I like energy, And though. the vibe. Oh, yeah. Vibes are cool. Energy's cool. Anyway, this is not about me. <laughs> Everyone celebrated their their living through this rescue yeah, mission. Like, yeah, they, they had to have just, like, broke into, like, immediate just banger celebration yeah they said uh the rescuers that were that had like made it just out of the cave just in time said they were they were greeted by like just so many hugs so many fist bumps high fives like they all passed around a bottle of like jack daniels and took like a celebratory sip because like i said there were thousands of people there like you get like a tiny little drop of jack daniels i'll share it it's like you know what that's cool that's cool we all celebrate a little bit um yeah i can't imagine that moment that must have been oh magical God. oh yeah I, like it gives me chills like when i when i was watching the documentary and like saw them coming out of the cave because there's footage of them coming out of the cave finally it, it gave me chills for sure yeah it's just incredible and just the bravery like i said earlier like these were all volunteers 
from around the world that came and like l truly 100% fully risked their lives and it did it, you know? They really did it. Yeah. And I can't imagine the the, the parents it just it makes me emotional to yeah put myself where they were at oh my god I, I truly can't even imagine like actually but that's wow that's just wow you know Oof. but you know for the boys like where are they now we just have like a short little bit so the, the boys were quarantined for about a week to ensure that they had not caught any infectious infectious diseases while they were you know in the cave they wore sunglasses as their eyes needed to adjust to the normal light. And after a week of monitoring, uh, monitoring, they were released from the hospital. They're all cool. Everyone's good. And that is the story of the what's their wild boars, wild boars soccer, soccer team, team rescue. Chills like this story is insane. Yeah. And. Like, the international collaboration is just, like, a triumph of human cooperation, really. Yeah. It's like the whole world can just be, like, a little pat on the back. Like, yeah, like, this thank is you, what we're you. capable yeah. of sometimes. Yeah. Usually, our stories are insane, but... But this, this one's one a little extra. a little extra, <laughs> don't we think? Leave a comment below if you agree. Below. Below, below the episode. Is this YouTube? <laughs> smash that like button guys yeah um yeah but anyway what, what's your good thing oh my good thing is that i am back to running i've been through pt and i did two and a half miles yesterday at a seven minute and 30 second pace wow it's pretty good for me i know that track people probably are like that's nothing but for me this is a good thing i think I the fastest mile i had ever run was like 10 minutes and 30 seconds <laughs> like well, I beat you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like my asthmatic ass is wheezing the whole way. So yeah, but that's great for you. That's awesome. Need a big inhaler, a yeah. thick inhaler, a thick puff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my good thing is silly. I painted my toes, and I like it. And the color is. And they're blue. They're blue. We got blue toes. Love it. Yep. And that's my good thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the contrast <laughs> yeah. is amazing <laughs> yeah you know sometimes it's the little things i took a minute for myself i painted my toes that's my good thing self-care is the best care it's self-care <laughs> <laughs> anyway guys if you'd like to follow us on instagram and keep up with all the posts that we or all the pictures that we post for each case follow us at not today underscore podcast or if you'd like to follow us on twitter you can follow us at not today podcast but the t on the end is a three because, because that, that makes, makes sense. sense or if you'd like to send us one of your stories send it to no today podcast at gmail.com and follow us on tiktok at not today podcast and that is our show Amazing. i hate i don't like calling it a show love you guys that's our story not tots not toddies toddies nice anyway out <laughs> just keep breathing yeah yeah <laughs>